Hello and welcome to the Backtracker History Show podcast, hosted by me, Alice. Each episode is a podcast-friendly version of a show that has been aired on Bradley Stoke Radio in Bristol, England. In this particular episode, we'll be going through archive material to find out more about a tale that includes greed, passion and murder. All this will be brought to life for you by some amazingly talented voice actors. So get yourself ready and we'll start this tale of the body in the chest. This week's event occurred in the year 1964, and as always, here are a few other things that happened that year. On January the 6th, a British firm, the Leyland Motor Corp, announces the sale of 450 buses to the Cuban government, challenging the United States blockade of Cuba. On February the 10th, 82 Australian sailors die when a Royal Australian Navy aircraft carrier and a destroyer collide off New South Wales, Australia. On the 27th of February, the Italian government asks for help to keep the Leaning Tower of Pisa from toppling over. And on March the 6th, American boxer Cassius Clay announces the change of his name to Muhammad Ali. March the 18th, sees the 1964 Moscow protest. Approximately 50 Moroccan students break into the embassy of Morocco in the Soviet Union and stage an all-day sit-in, protesting against sentencing of 11 people to death for the alleged assassination attempt of King Hassan II of Morocco. April the 13th, at the 36th Academy Award ceremony, Sidney Poitier becomes the first African-American to win an Academy Award in the category Best Actor in a leading role in Lilies of the Field. On April the 22nd, the 1964 New York World's Fair opens to celebrate the 300th anniversary of New Amsterdam, being taken over by British forces under the Duke of York, who later became King James II and being renamed New York in 1664. The fair runs until October the 18th, 1964, and reopens again on April the 21st, 1965, finally closing on October 17th, 1965. Although not internationally sanctioned due to being within 10 years of the Seattle's World Fair in 1962, so that some countries declined to attend, but those who do have pavilions with exotic crafts, art and food. On 6th of July, A Hard Day's Night is released. This musical comedy film, directed by Richard Lester, stars the Beatles during the height of Beatlemania. It was written by Alan Owen and originally released by United Artists. The film portrays 36 hours in the life of the group as they prepare for a television performance. And lastly, on December the 10th, 1964, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. is awarded the Nobel Peace Prize in Oslo, Norway. But the event we'll be talking about today occurred between the 1st of September, 1964 and the 26th of January, 1965 in Bristol. It's a tale as old as time, featuring gambling, greed and passion, 
Unfortunately, though, for Brian Hocking, it ended in death. Word of the week. And this week, I give you the word... Overmorrow. You know we have a word for yesterday and a word for tomorrow. Well, overmorrow is the day after tomorrow and was used a lot in Middle English but fell out of the language. So instead of having this word, we have the rather wordy day after tomorrow. In Germany, they still use this very useful word, Übermorgen. Brian Hocking lived with his wife Betty at 9 Victoria Road, Westbury Park in Bristol. They were married on the 17th of March 1960 and at that time had no children. Brian's wife first met Norman Bamber, who was then aged 29, in 1963 when she started work for a vacuum selling firm, Riordan Electrics Limited. That's where Norman Bamber also worked. Later, in March or April 1964, Norman Bamber came to live at 9 Queen Victoria Road with them. At that time, Brian Hocking was thinking of opening a gaming club in Newport, which was going to be called the Rendezvous Club. This he was going to fund himself, and Norman Bamber was going to run as he had experience as a part-time croupier. At the time, Bamber wasn't working when he came to live at Queen Victoria Road and had no regular work other than making arrangements for the club and didn't pay any board or lodgings and they provided him with money. On the 28th of September 1964 they all went to Lewis's department store in the afternoon where they bought some curtain material for the club and wrote out a cheque dated the 28th of September made payable to Lewis's. Betty Hocking described in court what happened the last evening she went out with her husband on the 28th of September. That evening, I went out with Anne Stewart, my husband, and Norman. The last place we were in was the Casino Club in Park Street, Bristol. We got home between 2 and 2.30am. When they got back home, Betty and Brian slept in the front bedroom. But when she awoke at midday on September the 29th, he had gone. I don't think I ever saw him again. Brian's wife, Betty, described how when she got up, her husband's clothes were gone. She went on to say that he was supposed to be going to work that day after being off sick for a while. She said that on the night of the 29th of September, 1964, she slept in Bamba's room with Bamba, adding that it wasn't the first occasion that she had slept with him and that they had been intimate before. She said, When I knew he was going to be away for the night, I slept with Norman. When my husband was out and I slept with Norman, the string was broken, the key was left on the mat. This was in reference to the only front door key to the house, which was kept on a string behind the front door. When she was sleeping with Norman, they would either untie the knot in the string or break the string and leave the key on the mat. So if Brian came back unexpectedly, he couldn't get in without ringing the bell. And then they would go and let him in. As Betty said, on the night of the 29th of September, the key was left on the mat. 
Then after about a week, they stopped leaving the key on the mat, and Bamba kept it. Around November, the couple moved into the main bedroom at the front. Another piece of information to note was that at the time of his disappearance, Betty was pregnant. She would later go on to have a son. When recalling events around the time of her husband's disappearance, Betty said that a man decorated the kitchen and the front bedroom around that week and that it was completed by about the 3rd of October 1964. She went on to say that the day following the general election, she noticed that the mattress on the bed wasn't hers and was in fact a different one. She asked Bamber about it and he told her that the old one had got paste on it from the decorating. She would later go on to confirm that she recognised the linen chest, saying that they had one like it in the garden shed, as well as identifying various other objects like the carver chair, suitcase, blanket, tweed jacket, shirt, pullover and various other items that were held as evidence. A woman who was a typist and had known Brian Hocking for over 10 years said that she met Norman Bamber in a car park near the doctor's surgery on Gloucester Road in the summer of 1964. She recognised him as Brian had recently introduced them. Bamba was in Hocking's small Austin car, and as she was walking down Gloucester Road, he tooted the horn, and she went across to see him, and eventually got in the car, and they sat there chatting. She said that he told her that he was waiting for Brian, who was in the doctor's, and then added that there had been a bit of a row the night before, Apparently, someone in one of the clubs had told Brian that there was something going on between Bamba and his wife, Betty. Brian was also told that Bamba was overheard bragging, I've had his wife, I've got his car, and I'm going to have his money. Bamba told her that Brian was very annoyed and that his wife later collapsed. However, she went on to say that he wasn't that worried about it. She said that she last saw Brian on the 29th of September that year as she was coming home from work on the bus. She saw him in the Rendezvous Cafe on Gloucester Road as the bus driver drew up at the Muller Road Junction. <laughs> Word on the street. Today we head to Roman Walk in BS4 in Bristol. The name was chosen by Brisington Conservation and Amenity Society and refers to the site of a Roman villa which was discovered when nearby Winchester Road was being built in 1899. The villa dated from around 270 to 300 AD and was thought to be at the centre of a large estate destroyed by fire in 307 AD. A credit broker, Mr Graham Driscoll from Cotham, said that he first met Bamba in the summer of 1964 at Mr Keith Park's garage in Sydenham Lane. He said that in the early part of 1964 he had rented a lock-up garage at Springfield Road, Cotham, for his car but he later got rid of the car but kept the garage. So he rented it to Bamba towards the end of September. They met at Perk's garage and Bamba asked him if he knew of a garage to rent. 
And so Driscoll told him that he had one himself. They went to look at it and agreed that Bamba was going to rent it for two to three weeks at one pound a week. Bamba said he was going to put his own lock on the garage as he didn't want anyone else to go in there. When he heard this, Driscoll said that he didn't want anything in his garage that would involve him in anything criminal. But Bamber assured him that the only thing that would be in there would be furniture. And so Keith Parks, the garage owner, helped Bamber to move the wardrobe from Queen Victoria Road to the garage. As they were doing so, Parks said that it was very heavy and he was thinking of using a block and tackle to move it. But they eventually slid it down the stairs. He asked Bamber why it was so heavy and was told that it was full of books. Bamber ended up keeping the garage for longer than three weeks, saying that he had nowhere else to put the furniture. And so the rent money was collected each week. And on one visit to 9 Victoria Road to collect the money, Driscoll said that Norman showed him a bit of paper and said that he was well off now and implied that it was a will. Driscoll said that he even received one payment at the dugout club one Saturday evening from Brian Hawking's wife, Betty, who came over and paid him. Ironically, the body would never have been found if Bamba had not been serving six months for driving whilst disqualified and without insurance. Just a few more months in the garage and the corpse would have decomposed beyond recognition. Bamba had committed the driving offences before he had a chance to properly dispose of Brian and legal delays meant the summonses were not served until the week of the murder. The police called around to Queen Victoria Road but Bamba wasn't in so the summons was left with Betty and Bamba then successfully succeeded in delaying the case until January by claiming the missing Hocking was a critical witness. When he was eventually jailed and banned from driving for 10 years, the police were already suspicious about the length of time Hocking was missing. And so the Monday after Bamble was jailed, Driscoll, the owner of the garage, went to the lockup and sawed off the lock and went inside. He said when he went in, he found a table as well as a linen chest, which he tried to open, but unsuccessfully, so he returned with another man and together they opened it and found a body. After that they went to the police station and the police went to Hallfield Prison where Bamba was serving his sentence. The body was upside down in the linen chest, still in pyjamas, with the hips and knees bent. The head was turned to the body to right so that most of the weight of the body was taken on the left cheek and left shoulder. The arms were more or less straight beside the trunk. Stuck against his back, which was against the partition of the linen chest, was a floral bedspread. When the body was examined, it was found to be badly decomposed with mummification of the feet, hands and forearms. The face had been squashed by the weight of the body, but a black beard was still present. Injuries to his head were mainly on the right side, where there were nine wounds, under which there was a large area of fracturing, with the bone fragments displaced into the skull. The cause of death was given as variable lacerations and a fractured skull. When the police went to Victoria Road and inspected the bedroom, they found that it had been recently redecorated. However, when they removed the mattress and looked at the divan base, 
they found a large, partly washed out area of blood staining the bed base at the foot. They also found further blood staining on a fitted carpet and on a piece of lino underneath the bed. There was also blood on the bedside cabinet as well as on the ceiling, about six feet from the pool cord fixture, as well as a partially gorged out splash of blood on the wall behind the bed and various bits of paper were removed as evidence. At the trial, the Chief Inspector for Newport Borough Police said that an application dated the 25th of May 1964 was made in respect of the Rendezvous Club for a registration certificate under the Licensing Act of 1961, which was signed by N. Bamber, the secretary of the club. He said that as a result of the application, he interviewed Norman Bamber and Brian Hocking and asked them who was putting up the money for the club. Brian said that it was him, and he was interrupted by Bamba, who said, We already started work on the premises. He's paying to have it redecorated. The chief inspector then asked who was in control of the club, and Brian replied, I'm putting up the money and I intend to be the proprietor. I will have the original license. I might make it a limited company later. The chief inspector went on to say that both men appeared to have little idea of club or licensing laws asking them do you realize you are applying for a members club such a club cannot show profits to anyone personally we want a club where profits from the drinks can go to brian hockey i thought we were applying for a club where i would take profits i am putting up the money and must get a profit this is a business the conversation then finished with brian saying this is a mistake we'll go and see our solicitor The chief inspector said that the rules were not amended to make a profit, but were amended to a members club and changed several times before being submitted on the 12th of August. And at the Newport Borough Magistrates Court on the 24th of August, in the presence of the chief inspector, a registration certificate was issued in respect of the club for a period of one year. The chief inspector noted that the club never in fact opened. When Detective Chief Superintendent Cyril Morgan and Detective Chief Inspector Charles Smith went to see Norman Bamber on the 26th of January 1965 and told him they had found a body in the linen cabinet in the garage, he said... I don't know whether I ought to say anything at this stage. However, he agreed to answer some questions. The police then said... Do you agree that you removed the linen chest from the house with a man? Yes. Was the body in the linen chest you removed? Yes. There was a short pause, and then Bamba asked... Any more questions? Did you kill him? No. I just found his body when I came home one night. When asked why he didn't report it to the police, he said he knew suspicion would fall on him and Betty, Brian's wife. The police asked if he meant his association with her, and he said... Well, you know what it is. In the end, Norman Bamber made a statement, saying that he had found Brian Hocking dead when he got home and was then arrested for his murder. He said that he'd thrown the bloodstained sheets into the dustbin, scrubbed the carpet and repapered the ceiling to cover up bloodstains. 
He then employed a Mr. Law to redecorate the bedroom. He also said that Betty came into the bedroom around 10 minutes after him. Something, surprisingly, Betty denies. The police once again asked why he didn't report the crime to them. He said, A new suspicion would fall on me because of Betty. In July of 1965, the all-male jury at the Bristol Assizes found Bamber guilty of murder and sentenced him to life after deliberating for only six hours. He later appealed his conviction, but his appeal was refused. Even though he'd been estranged from his son for five years, Norman's father came to support him throughout his trial. The History of North America podcast is a sweeping historical saga of the United States, Canada, and Mexico from their deep origins to our present epoch. Join me, Mark Vinette, on this exciting, fascinating, epic journey through time, focusing on the compelling, wonderful, and tragic stories of North America's inhabitants, heroes, villains, leaders, environment, and geography. This incredible historical adventure follows a path of exciting events led by interesting people who reach beyond their grasp to touch key moments in time. The History of North America podcast series is an educational and entertaining look at the thrilling chronicle of North America, an action-packed tale of a continent that is still unfolding. I invite you to come along for the ride. We all know about Murphy's Law. Anything that can go wrong will go wrong. But have you heard of Cole's Law? It's thinly sliced cabbage. Back in the day facts. Let's start with the 23rd of September, 1459, and it's the Battle of Bloor Heath, the first major battle of the English War of the Roses, and it's won by the Yorkists. On the 25th of September, 1968, American actor, film producer and rapper Will Smith is born. As of 2023, his films have grossed over $9.3 billion globally, making him one of Hollywood's most bankable stars. On the 26th of September 1973, Concorde makes its first non-stop crossing of the Atlantic in record-breaking time. Now retired, it was a Franco-British supersonic airliner jointly developed and manufactured by Sued Aviation and the British Aircraft Corporation, partly in Bristol. There's now a museum in Patchway called Aerospace Bristol that has the last Concorde to ever fly, as well as exhibits about the history of aviation and a conservation workshop, continuing the area's long history with aviation. On the 27th of September 1825, the world's first public railway to use steam locomotives, the Stockton and Darlington Railway, is ceremonially opened. On the 28th of September, 1928, Scottish physician and microbiologist Alexander Fleming notices a bacteria-killing mould growing in his laboratory, 
discovering what later would become known as penicillin. Fleming was knighted for his scientific achievements in 1944, and in 1999 he was named in Time magazine's list of the 100 most important people of the 20th century. In 2002, he was chosen in the BBC's television poll for determining the 100 Great Britons, and in 2009 he was also voted the third greatest Scot in an opinion poll conducted by STV behind only Robert Burns and William Wallace. And lastly, on the 29th of September, 1829, the Metropolitan Police of London, later known as the Met, is founded. It is the territorial police force responsible for law enforcement and the prevention of crime within the ceremonial county of Greater London. In addition, it is responsible for some specialised matters throughout the United Kingdom, including national counter-terrorism measures and the protection of specific people, such as the monarch and other members of the royal family, members of the government and other officials. Well, I'm afraid that's the end of today's show, but don't worry, I'll be here same time, same place next week. And it'd be interesting to know what you think of that particular story, Do you think the wife had any suspicions that her lover had anything to do with her husband? Do you think Brian knew what was going on between the two people he was living with? We'll never know, but it's always interesting to speculate. Anyway, today's show was brought to life by the vocal talents of Bradley Stoke Radio's very own Steve Shepherd, as well as Joe Wilson, Molly Jeffries, Steve Roberts and Sam Roberts from St Stephen's Drama Group right here in Bristol. Thank you, one and all. Thank you once again for listening to me, Alice, on the Backtracker History Show. If you'd like to get in touch with me, you can find me on Twitter or Facebook by looking up at Backtracker UK with a capital B, a capital T and a capital UK. I also occasionally post onto TikTok and Instagram. So do come along and find me because it's amazing to hear from you and get some feedback or even ideas for future shows. As a small independent podcaster, your help and support is always appreciated. And one way you can do that is to rate the show wherever you get your podcasts. Leaving a review also helps as it gives other people an idea of what the show's about. The show is regularly released on Mondays. So until next time, guys, take care and look after each other.